Hello, JudgeCast Leonardos. Welcome to this special experimental episode of JudgeCast. The idea was, can we record an episode of JudgeCast on the drive home from GP Charlotte? Spoiler alert, turns out the answer was, no, we cannot. But, even though the audio quality on this episode is terrible, we thought the content was still good, so we're releasing it as a bonus episode outside of our fortnightly or bi-weekly or semi-weekly or whatever it is schedule. I, I assure you, we didn't have the windows open. I've gotten that question when I've run this by other people. The windows were not open. That is just how loud it was in the car. What can you do? Sit back and enjoy the episode of Driving with JudgeCast. Hello and welcome to Driving with JudgeCast. My name is CJ Schrader and with me as... Oh. I have none of my usual co-hosts with me because we are trying a crazy experiment right now. Uh, as you can tell from the audio quality of this episode, we are in a vehicle driving back from GP Charlotte. And I'm here with three other fine level, te- level 2 judges. We're going to talk about our experiences at GP Charlotte, what teams we're on, maybe interesting rulings, you know, cool things like that. We're going to see if we can actually get a useful episode out of it. I don't know. I think it's a crazy idea, but we got two hours to kill, so... Uh, Nick, Nick's driving for us. Hello! Nick, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Nick Zidimer. I'm an L2 outside of Atlanta, Georgia. I'm currently the driver of this horrible mess. Yeah. I think we can forgive Nick if he has to pause in his discussions to focus on the road. Uh, this isn't, um, driving to work. I'm in a long vein of, of dry, or drive to work in a long vein of driving podcasts. And you need so many of them. Uh, Star, what about you? Uh, Michael Star, L2 from Macon, Georgia. Alright, everything else? is fine. Everything this is, is fine. fine. <laughs> this is fine. Alright, David Holman? Hey guys, I'm David Holman. I'm a level 2 from the beautiful city of Savannah, Georgia. Ooh. Ooh. That's so far away. Ooh. Come on. <laughs> so, I think we're gonna just dive right into it because I don't know what else we're supposed to say. So, Nick. Hello. Let's talk about day one a little bit of Grand Prix Charlotte. Uh, one of the top ten largest Grand Prix in the world I read on Facebook today. Is that true? Wow. Yes. Yeah, it's 2,700 players. 2,870. 2,870. Yeah, that's pretty nuts. I know that because I was next to a scorekeeper all day, day one. Yes. <laughs> uh, so what, what was your task on day one? My task was a brand new team. I was on the stage team, which has never existed before in um, and we were told at the start of the day that the stage team was basically designed to keep the head judge sane. Okay. Yeah. So what, what did you do? <laughs> uh, we were basically a buffer for the stage. We were there to keep players away from the from pestering the scorekeepers, so we were not to have players directly approach the scorekeepers without trying to handle their questions first. Same thing for stage staff and the head judge, so that if there were questions, we would field them beforehand and try to catch the easy ones and let the ones through that actually needed. Yes, uh, the head judge Ricardo Tessitore, he actually shared a pretty neat little uh, form for people to fill out, maybe for future stage staffs, which is like, here's your DCI number, and here's your name, and, and then some checkboxes of like, this is the issue we're having, you know? My DCI number is wrong, my last name and first name to be switched, things like that. Uh, it's kind of interesting for future stage staffs so that they can, you know, when you actually do need the scorekeeper's time, you can immediately be ready to go. Where was this form? Uh, I think they did it in, not Chiba, but another foreign relative to us, GP. That's very interesting. It yeah. would have been potentially useful for the stage team. Yeah, I'm curious to see if we'll do it in the future. 
Um, so basically your day was just standing around uh, near the stage? Uh, it wasn't exactly just standing around. We were basically bodyguards for the stage, but we also had to field floor calls from the area directly in front of the stage, which is a few hundred players. We, we basically were tasked with the first 10 minutes of the round catching all the scorekeeper questions. Uh, where is my pairings? I'm not on the list. My points aren't right. Things like that. Um, and then the last 25 minutes of the round, we were there to catch the uh, time extensions and help the end of round teams to make everything go smooth. That's pretty neat, though. It was, it was interesting. Spent a lot of time sorting slips for the scorekeepers. That was, yeah. that was a big part of, part of the stage for him. So GP's Charlotte had a unique to me setup, although I think I think this might have been a little no, uh, it's similar to some other events I've been told. But we were split into three sub events, but not really. Like it wasn't a, a defined split. The players didn't know they were in part of a uh, a sub GP. Uh, the numbers, you know, they just they were more or less continuous, although there would be gaps. Between all the splits. Yep. So it's kind of a unique system. So so Nick's team was they only needed one. You only need one stage team. Um, but for example, I was on slips three. We needed three separate slips teams because there were three events basically that were being covered. Uh, how about you start? What, what was your team? Uh, I was end of round four. I guess uh, team two. End of round two. Yes. Yeah. End of yeah. round two. Yeah. The uh, the events were in cutesy names like Ojutai. Moga uh, and, and the pink one. Atarka. Atarka. Yes. yes. The pink one. I just kept saying green and blue and pink. I'm sorry. I know that's a terrible thing. Yeah, Atarka was white too. It made no sense. All the was slips it? were white for Atarka. Oh, and they, they, they looked pink. No, nah, they, they were pink. They were pinkish? Yeah. I, yeah, I heard them described as a salmon. Interesting. Yes. Salmon? Salmon. 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 So what was... <laughs> what was... What, what was your responsibility, Stark? Uh, so... I was pretty much just basic uh, floor staff for a majority of the round, uh, and of course until end of round hit where we coordinated all the outstanding matches, uh, along with helping Nick with time extensions and recording what tables uh, and who was sitting on those tables for those. Uh, but we had a really unique system that our team tried out for that, uh, and it, it had some good parts and it had some bad parts, uh, which, which made it really interesting to try to, try to dig through mid-tournament. Where normally the uh, in a round team has one person that sits in front of the stage, and they have a list of all the outstanding matches that's printed out about ten minutes before the end of the round, uh, and they coordinate with all the staff members that are on the floor, uh, not only for in a round team but for all the teams uh, to coordinate why the tables are still out, if they're coming in, do they have time extensions, can, do we have people that can sit down and watch the ones that do. Uh, and, that job was actually shared in three different locations along the floor, not just at the stage. Uh, so we had three different people all with the same sheets showing which tables were out. And each team communicated with each other uh, through Facebook Messenger to know on the fly which tables were still out and which slips were coming in. Yeah, so the interesting thing about that, uh, that's Justin Turner's baby. He's been practicing about it to everyone in the world, but... Uh, Definitely the, was. Interesting, the interesting thing about that is, since I was not on the same quote unquote split as you, I, I love the sounds of the blinker. So authentic. <laughs> um, we didn't do that system that you did at all. You know, we did the old style, what you were describing, where some person has a clipboard up front, uh, they send people out, uh, and that was basically about it. So that was, that was an interesting thing about this event that each section might be doing something differently. I guess basically, depending on the team lead for those roles. Um, I was on slips three, 
so I was part of Ojutai. Blue. Good old blue team. Yeah, blue team. That's basically exactly what it sounds like. It was our job to make sure that the result slips got cut after they came out of the printing machine. Um, and then we, it's not our responsibility necessarily to actually pass them out. It was, uh, it was our responsibility to take them out on the floor and then hand them off to somebody else to pass them out. So it was just our job to get them from the printer out to the floor and then just find the closest judge who wasn't doing a deck check and just pass them off. Uh, that was a little different for me, and obviously if we couldn't find a judge, we would just do it ourselves. But there's not much exciting about passing out slips. Pretty standard day, I passed them out. Uh, David Holman has passed me a note here. <laughs> he says it is the 7th largest GP, the 3rd largest constructed GP, and the 2nd wow. largest modern GP. David Holman, you can just talk in the future. I could, Actually, but you were talking. So what, what did you do? Me? Yeah. Uh, I was tasked with going to a specific player uh -huh. each round, uh -huh. uh, and then losing to them terribly <laughs> for four of the five rounds that I actually played. Uh, so I actually played in the event, got to experience a little more of the other side of the GP system that I'm normally used to. This is actually my first GP I've ever played in. So, what was what was your? Do you remember what tournament you were in? I was in the Dramoka. The green section. Yeah. So, like, how how was it from your experience? Did you notice anything like this? Uh, so, because I'm used to the other side, I, I'm uh, aware and attentive of the logistics. I thought the pairings boards, uh, for one, were a, a little awkward, I guess, because uh -huh. the pairings board closest to me was not the same uh, color that of the color of the section I was in. Uh, I think it was the blue, uh, not the blue section, the Shiver, pink. Yeah, the pink section was closest to the seat I was sitting for the players meeting. In terms of like, did I notice that they were separate? I, I thought they were separate at certain areas, and I don't think I was correct because they had uh, three different sections, like uh, it big with big walkway splits between the rows, uh -huh. and that's where I assumed that the sections were split up. Yes, but as the tournament progressed it became more apparent that these were not the defined splits. No, see, they were, but they were filling them in. Ah. See, yeah, that's what happened quite a few times, is they would they would compress the tournament. Right. Because as each sub-tournament got smaller, we had these bigger gaps between them. Um, so, like, I had a zone that was near the end of the tournament, and I came out one round, and half of it was gone. And I was like, what happened? <laughs> it was because they compressed all the tournaments, uh, which eats from... My tournament, mine was number three. The tournament itself was also compressing and expanding. Uh, the three tournaments were, were combining over the course of the day as as people dropped. Yes. They were slowly merging them together, which caused another little bit of confusion. Yeah. So the idea, if I didn't make this clear in the beginning, is just trying to capture some of those judge chats that happen after a GP. We've had quite a few of the, the kinds you don't share in public, but I thought maybe we'd capture some of the more public-facing ones. So did anyone have any like interesting rulings they like? So for day one, I had actually I took zero judge calls. I was in That's front of the right. stage the entire the time. Yeah. <laughs> so I was either in front of the stage or I was taking slips and sorting them around the back. So okay. I had no calls. Did you have to call a judge, Holman? Uh, not once during the whole time I was there did I have to call a judge for my match. Don't make mistakes. I 
Neither me nor my opponent. Yeah, alright. We are perfect players. As compared to Jess, who had a judge call every round. As compared to Jess Dunks. Yes, Jess Dunks had a ton of judge calls. Yes, That's a did. shame we can't have him on. He's driving the judge bus over Jess Dunks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Star? Uh, actually, I had I had a few. One of the ones that stuck out me to me the most was a uh, player calls me over. His opponent cast and resolved Serum Visions. The opponent thinks he drew a card, scryed two, and then drew a card. But the player that called me over, also, the only thing he saw was a scry two and then a draw card. So the opponent saw an inverse Serum Visions, while the player that cast it thinks he might have drawn an extra card. Interesting. Yeah. So I had to spend a couple minutes counting the deck, as it were, to figure out if he actually did draw an extra card, which it turns out he didn't. Uh, so then I had to apply a fix for him improperly resolving Zero Visions because he scryed two and then drew a card because he didn't draw a card the first time. Which, that card is banned in Modern. It's called Preordained. Pre so. Yes, he, he preordained. Yes, yeah. definitely correct. <laughs> Uh, and Spellskite was a, a big, oh, big, uh, big problem this weekend for Judge Calls. Yeah. So many Spellskite calls. Uh, I got quite a few uh, Binds of Basswood calls, actually. Like, if this is happening, can I Binds of Basswood? That, like, uh, Arcbound Ravager, if it's dying, uh, and it's modular trigger triggers. Alright. Uh, can I Binds of Basswood, whatever he wants to put it on? Oh, that's cute. Yeah, and I'm like, actually, yeah, you can. Yeah, yeah you can. can. It works. That. It's the only way that, that that effect works the way you want it yeah. to. And it's like, yeah, actually, you can stop it. Yeah, yeah I mean, a more common interaction is with Spellskite, uh, surprise there, where you redirect and hopefully the player who is playing Affinity doesn't, you're hoping the player who's playing Affinity doesn't realize that that ability is a May trigger. So you don't have to put the counters on Spellskite, but... Oh, uh, <laughs> redirecting to Spellskite? Yeah. Is Modular not a target creature you control? Uh, no, it's not. It's target creature. Yep. Nice. You can, you can actually do really, really cool blowouts like that. Oh, yeah. It's actually really weird to me that that, that modular targets. I feel like if they made it today, it wouldn't target. Probably not. Do you have any other star? Just a, a lot of a lot of learning how to answer questions. Yeah. Uh, again, with uh, with Spellskite, uh, player attacks with a frag tusk. It also controls the Spellskite. Opponent deflecting ball. Choosing the source to be Thragtusk, the opponent activates Spellsky and then calls me over to see what it does. <laughs> Always a good play. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was it was great. The end result of that player spent two life activating Spellsky and then took the five damage from Deflecting Palm. <laughs> because Deflecting Palm doesn't target, right. but yeah. it's still a spell and it's a legal target for Spellsky. Uh, so him activating that ability stri uh, strategically was bad, but legally was correct. Yes. Which, uh, I think that was something Star and I were talking about uh, on the walk uh, from the GP to our hotel room, was uh, players ask questions about Spellskite in such a weird fashion. More than any other card I think I've, I've seen a player ask a question about, in that if you ask me what you're trying to do, you'll probably get a better answer, a more real answer. Where you're trying to stop this, does it stop this? Right. The right. question that we always get is, Judge, can I can target? I, I can, can I change the target of this? Which is most not, of the time you can. Yeah. Doesn't always do what you want it to do. Right. Can I activate Spell Sky here? Well, yes. Yes. Yeah, you can. Can I? Yeah. Can I target 
spells kind. Sure. Yes, yes, you can. But that's not gonna do anything. Yeah, spells kind's always been a problem. <laughs> I think it always will be. Which is <laughs> oh, wait, that's for sale. Never mind. <laughs> I was thinking precursor golem. Like, I don't expect to hear precursor golem questions. Wait, this is nuts. Yeah. No one's gonna play precursor on their own free will. I have no spells kind of thing. I can't remember right now. So, did you have any more you want to talk about? Uh, nothing right off top. Maybe right. later. So, I had one from uh, day one where it's kind of a classic thing. A guy played a primeval titan, and while he was searching his lands, for, for some reason the opponent thought that he had said go, where he was just kind of searching through his deck. So the opponent untapped and then drew a card. Oh, nice. And yeah, and they called me over and they're like, what do I do? Um, do you guys have any, any guesses, any thoughts? Um, so, kind of player communication and such like that. <sighs> Clearly, the, the uh, unfortunate, awkward situation here is I would have to ask questions, like, what kind of comments were said by the opponent? Yeah. What is this? Do I feel like he actually felt uh, he was given the turn? If I actually believe this player thought he had the turn and was about to draw, I'm more inclined to uh, back it up, so to speak, just random card on top and continue from there. But uh, again, this is just an awkward situation where the cop-out phrase of you gotta be there kind yeah. of exists. <laughs> um, so would you assess a penalty? <sighs> I wanna say no, but I I can't justify that. <laughs> so, I, I gave a game of violation for okay. basically untapping a land for no reason, untapping his lands for no reason, and then also gave me a nice, clean, tidy reason to back up because right. we had a GRV. Uh, but it is... It, that was kind of a sticky situation, and I'm not sure if there's a major consensus on it with, with these these issues of miscommunications. Uh, because the balance you want here is you don't want it to be where I can be scumbag player and just kind of keep saying words that kind of sound close to go. I don't really mean go to try to trick you into drawing a card or something. But at the same time, you know, if somebody does draw a card like that, we have to fix it, so... Right, I mean, I had a, a similar situation, not at this event, where, you know, player says go, doesn't say before anything happens, I've got to fix during your upkeep, and this guy just blows past the upkeep, draws a card. Right. And, I mean, you're not going to game loss some guy over that. Uh, right. I almost did, and got stopped promptly. Nice. Um, that, that said, I was going to get the team lead, because that's what you do at big events for a game loss, and he promptly gave the correct ruling, which was, no, no, we're just going to back it up real quick. Um, yeah, I had the same thing happen, but I didn't really get a team. Yeah. Because I didn't need games. <laughs> Another ruling I had on that day was a guy cascaded, and the card he cascaded into was the bottom card of his library. Ooh. Um, so everything else goes on the bottom in a random order. It's not shuffled. And his question was, do I need to present my deck to be cut? <laughs> sure. I was like, I don't know, I never thought about it. Because most of the time when you cascade, it's like five, you know? What did he cascade? Uh, Living In. He was the bottom card of his library. Oh my goodness. He didn't hit anything off Living In? No, he cascaded into Living In. Right. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Oh, that's right, because that's the point of that deck, is yeah. to cascade until you hit Living In. 
thing is. Yes. Okay. Sure, sure. Yeah, and so is the bottom card. Um, so, so I think, yeah, I think ultimately there's no reason not to cut there. I don't know if you're going to find something in the CR that says you need to present this randomization to the opponent, but I don't see a world where, like, what would be the reason you don't cut, uh, except for you are cheating. Leave the MTR states that whenever a player shuffles the deck, they are supposed to present but they're not, you're not shuffling. Well, yeah. they're randomizing they're the deck. There's literally no difference. There's literally no difference. There is the judges. <laughs> there are technical differences okay. here, Star. Oh, okay, so Cozy's trickster won't trigger yes, she will not. But still, like, <laughs> we're randomizing the deck completely. And, and she triggers twice for green suns. She does. She I've does. learned that the hard way. Oh, good job. <laughs> yeah. That uh, is so weird. <laughs> Funny. Yeah, Cozy's trickster, keeping us on our toes. <laughs> since 2012. Since Zendikar. Yeah, since yeah. Zendikar. Whenever that was. 
and Malira says that your opponent's creatures lose infect. You can't have neg one neg one counters placed on your creatures, and you can't gain infect counters. Or you can't have infect counters. I'm not sure the exact wording on that part. Poison counters. Poison counters. Look at me. Um, Some of us played before infect existed. <laughs> <laughs> oh sure. Uh, yeah. Slivers. Oh, well before that. Oh, yeah. Swamp Mosquito. Well, that was for you. Leeches? Yeah. So you activate your Inkmoth Nexus, which makes it become a 1 1 Blinkmoth artifact creature with flying and infect. And that adds a timestamp on top of Malira's, which gives your creature infect. So even though Malira says they lose it, now it's gaining it back again. Okay. Compare that to the Theros enchantment creatures that say. Something uh, like archetype of imagination. Yes. Uh, creatures lose flying, and they can't. Or your opponent's creatures lose flying, and they can't gain it. That's yeah. that's probably the better version of this. Well, that that probably came around because of this. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So now your Inkmoth Nexus is a one-one flying creature uh, with infect. You swing at your opponent. They can't block. They don't have any flyers or whatever. Uh, so we go to deal damage. The damage gets dealt. And when it's processed to become infect counters, I'm sorry, poison counters, it does it does nothing. It, they, they, the right. damage doesn't result in anything. Right. Uh, but the important thing to note here is the damage still gets dealt, uh, which can be very important for uh, contested battle uh, war zone. Contested well, war zone. Yeah. I was gonna say sort of anything and anything. I like contested war zone better. Contested war zone. Then. I don't know. I don't <laughs> actually know what that does. <laughs> That's the one where. Uh, Damage your opponent, you get to take it or something like that. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, Malaria specifically says you can't get poison counters. Nice and clean. Yeah, yeah. It'd be better if I actually pull the car up. Uh, uh, we're driving. Yeah, people understand. Nick's driving. <laughs> um, but yeah, so you're dealing damage, but the damage doesn't actually result in anything happening, uh, and that's how that interaction works. Did you guys hear? I mean, maybe this is like a major deck, you know? Maybe I'm showing how little I follow modern. Um, once again, poor Jess just loves modern. I wish. I, I actually. Love modern, yeah. Uh, but I somebody came and asked me about a little combo with Malira, New Anafenza, and a um, uh, Murder's Red Cap. Okay. Oh yeah. Just, are you hearing about this? There's, my players have been asking about this forever. Yeah. So, you need a sack outlet for no. The no? Murder's Red Cap is its own sack outlet. So the Murder's Red Cap enters the battlefield. Yeah. You have it target itself with the damage. Okay. Killing the Murder's Cap. Now, so what it happens is. When it enters, it triggers Bolster from Anafenza, and triggers itself, right? You get to stack those however you want. So you stack it so that it's 2-2. Two, two. Um, it's 2 damage, kills itself. It dies. It comes back without a persist counter, without a minus 1, minus 1, because of uh, uh, Malera. Bolster triggers, damage itself oh again. Goodness. Repeat. So you can do this <laughs> infinitely. Swing with a really, because obviously he's going to be summoning sick the red cap. Yeah. But you can, you can swing with an arbitrarily large Anafenza and Valera. And I was like, this is a sweet four color combo. <laughs> but somebody asked me about that. I was like, what? You're crazy. <laughs> that can't be right. That's pretty good. Yeah, I, I like it. it. I like that. Yeah, I haven't read the new Anafenza until just a few seconds ago. Yeah, so. it's basically when a creature is just about moon. Yeah, nice. She's, she's the new Malira. Uh, for, well, for all those up. great no longer pod decks. Um, nice. Well, I guess let's move on to day two, unlike Homan did. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh. Uh, so hot in this car right now. So, 
It's true. <laughs> so Nick, uh, what was your role on day two? I was on a deck, deckless team for day two, which is... For the main. For the main, yep. Yeah. Uh, pretty standard GP uh, team role. Basically we were in charge of filtering out and sorting all the day two deck lists from the giant pile of entire GP deck lists. Yep. Sorting those down, and then uh, we were in charge of doing deck checks for the, the day two players, making sure the decks were legal, and uh, then covering the floor when we were done that. It went very well. There wasn't really too much to say. We had a fantastic team. Uh, CJ Crooks was our, our team lead. Um, I'm not going to name everybody on the team. It yeah. was a very strong team. Crooks uh, voted best CJ by the CJ Council. Yes. Uh, now, who the second best CJ is, is in dispute right now. Um, I don't know if the Council thinks it's in dispute. I feel <laughs> that it should be me. Okay. CJ Stambaugh disagrees. He feels he is second best CJ. But CJ Stambaugh does not have a podcast. This is true. In a car. It is civic. Yeah, it is civic. No. Did you have any rulings on day two? Um, I didn't have any particularly interesting rulings. Yeah. Um, we did have a fun judge activity team building thing where we were asked to um, oh, yeah. find the, the most savage misplay okay. that you could watch, which I actually found was a great idea as a team building thing. Yeah, Because it, it forces you to sit and watch magic, which is something that sometimes you have a hard time doing yeah. while you're trying to look for calls and things like that. So, the most savage misplay that I found, I think, was finally actually voted the best one of everyone. Nice. Was oh, a player who cast Thoughtseize without checking how many cards his opponent had. Oh, no. And his opponent had zero cards. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so he shocked himself. Shocked himself. Pretty That's interesting fantastic. to watch. Wow. Oh, man. So, but other, other calls I actually took, it was very standard modern calls, nothing particularly interesting. Yeah. Uh, a lot of timing, a lot of just answering questions for people, not actually interacting. interacting. Today I saw a legitimate uh, Blood Moon and Urborg. Wow, nice. And I was like, oh, hey, there it is. <laughs> and um, for those not in the know, doesn't matter about timestamps for this one, Dependencies, you can listen to our episode on Dependencies. It's called Welcome to My Lair Part 2. <laughs> you can listen to that episode, but the long and short of it is uh, Urborg becomes a mountain, and therefore nothing is a swamp. Everything is a mountain. Well, no, basically it's a mountain. Right. Um, actually, I saw a few other Blood Moon rulings. Um, I had a few. Yeah, there was one with uh, obviously Blood Moon and Dryad Arbor. Actually, two different questions. I got first. I was called over, and I was asked, uh, "Blood Moon and Dryad Arbor out? Can Dryad Arbor tap for green?" <laughs> what's, what's the answer, gentlemen? No. No. Why not? <laughs> because it's not a forest. It's a mountain. Therefore, it loses all its intrinsic. Forest abilities engage the ability to tap for red. Yes. Yes, got there. All right, the next big question was... But it's still green, that's important. It is. It's still green. It's still green because of the color indicator. Yes. yes. Um, the next important question, though, is can it attack? I'm going to go yes. It, it keeps its creature types. Um, yes. And I would imagine it would mean it keeps its power toughness. Yes. Yeah, it remains a creature, and it remains a dryad, if that matters. Your dryad tribal. Uh, obviously, it does. Dryad creature. Yeah, so, Star, what were you doing on day two? I was on AM sides from 8 AM to 6 PM. Well, 5 30. <laughs> we're not getting into that. Most of what I got stuck with was the, uh, sort of, were the, uh, the schedule events, uh, which really 
just boiled down to two different seal events, uh, one at 10 and one at three. Uh-huh. And the, these seal events are actually really interesting. Uh, I've not done a whole lot of GPs, but Star City Games had a special where you bought a one-day or a three-day badge, and this badge gave you free entry to any event, side event, that had the word challenge in it. So players were jumping into challenge drafts and challenge seal and all kinds of different things just to grab product and jump into the next event because essentially they were all free. Yeah. Uh, and that made for a really interesting rollover of events over the course of the day. Yeah, so basically you had a ton of drops for every round one. Every round we had at minimum 70 drops. Oh, goodness. The first sealed event which fired off, <coughs> fired off really close to 10. We had 250-ish players. Uh, about 70 of those dropped off. And then on the 3 p.m. seal, we had 217. And 100 of those players dropped before the pairings for a first, for a first round were received. Wow. Yeah, so oh, the, it, was, it, was, it was pretty grindy in that aspect. Huh. That was a regular REO? All regular things. So no, yeah. so no, no uh, deck swap or anything. Uh, yeah, no, no deck swap, just standard 30-minute build times, and then four rounds of Swiss, uh, and your prizes are based on the number of wins you get. Uh, so that made it really, really easy. Uh, Holman, did you play in some side events? Oh, yeah. You, um, you were able to play on some of our dime a little bit, because Star City Games was kind enough to, uh, as part of our compensation, give us a free side event. Yeah, which, which makes sense for judges working two days and are there the full weekend, all three days. Uh, for judges that come in the day, uh, the night before they work, it's a little more awkward and don't have time to play inside of it, so... Now, let me stop you. They did say, in fairness, they said they are more than willing to fire a draft of judges after sides has closed. Nice. Just for us, so... Yes, as long so, as all eight members. Yeah, so they were willing to do it to make sure that we got to actually use it. Awfully kind. Yeah. Uh, but I gave my view. Fortunately for me, yes. you did not take that option. Yes. Um, which I got the silver level, which means I got a free one just off the back for paying extra money. Uh, so, what was it after after I scrubbed out of the GP terribly? I went to play in the rebound. I went 301, which means I drew the last round, um, or I drew a round, which was the last round intentionally, so we could just split the prizes there. So I got a good number of prize sticks for that. And then I, my first win a box, I beat the first first two opponents. Saw my last guy was on twin, and offered the intentional draw and split the prizes there. So what are what are prize tickets? Is this Chuck E. Cheese's we're going to? <laughs> it, it's it's darn about. close. It, it was pretty exciting. I like all right. So if Chuck E. Cheese is the pizza convention, uh, then th this is this is that, uh, where you have what is effectively a. a a wall of prizes. You have a table in front of you, you got tons of prizes on there, and each of those has a set amount of what's called ticks uh, associated with it. Like, play mats could range from 50 to 200 ticks if you're looking at the Jersey Brainstorm play mat. You could also get packs or other merchandise. What you couldn't get were singles. So, they left you out there. But, uh, in the end, I think it was um, 180 to win or 4-0, so excuse me, 4-0 the rebound challenge, 120 to get 3-1, and one, or you could split and get 150. So it made little sense to go for the 180 when you could just 
get 150 and be happy. In the winner box, each pack was 10 ticks and a box was 360 ticks, so that was for the winner. Instead, you could just get 180, save yourself an hour, and enter into the next one, which I did, and promptly lost first round there. So I think the most important question here is, was there skee-ball involved? Oh man, was there skee-ball? Like, did I miss it? Because I didn't see any skee-ball, and I would have been playing skee-ball. I would have traded like, tokens for skee-ball. Off the record, if there is, if we see an exit sign for a Chuck E. Cheese, you've got me in the mood for skee-ball now. <laughs> That's the cheapest place you can play ski ball to take it from no, somebody whose twenty first birthday was at a beach. <laughs> <laughs> uh, CJ the ball, cool guy Schrader over here. Unfortunately, there was no ski ball involved. It was just magic. Little known fact for those of your parents out there: they do sell beer. They do cheese. sell beer. Twenty <laughs> first so birthday is not actually the worst. The chuggy cheese. Well, it is kind yeah, of the worst. <laughs> when you're a bunch of adults <laughs> with no children around at Chuck E. Cheese. Um, so, my, uh, my day two was, I was a uh, team lead of paper, so now it's like slips, but with additional pairings, and uh, Ricardo had asked that we post standings every round as well, so. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it was my team's job solely to make sure that when there's stuff coming out of the printer, we need to get that stuff out. Um, I don't know if people know how much actual paper comes out of that thing. Because first, a bunch of stuff comes out for coverage. Then, uh, then we usually get the pairings. Then random tables for deck checks. Then we would get the standings or the result slips, depending, and then we would get the other one. Um, it's just a lot of a lot of stuff. And and there's what, four or five pages of uh, standing, or uh, standing the pairings? Yeah, standing for about uh, standing for eight pages. Which means... Because you can't really split those up by letter range, that's not what people want. Right. Uh, the pairings are only a couple, and then there was a pairing for the uh, VIP table, VIP booth too. And the, which means the match slips had to be 20, 40, uh, how many pa papers came with the, the... 37 to start. I think, I think there were 37. That's a good amount. That's not bad day two, though, compared to day one. Yeah. Comparatively, yes. Yes, day one. <laughs> yeah. And those, those printers spit paper out so fast, it's literally on fire when Yes, it, the bottleneck in, in getting the slips out is the paper cutter. Uh, mind you, it is not literally on fire. Disregard. Yeah, like, all the time you'll hear judges complain about or talk about paper cutters, and it sounds like the most, like, vapid thing in the world, but... It, it matters so much to an event what paper cutter you have, and I know we've talked about it on JudgeCast before. Uh, unfortunately, these were the guillotine-style paper cutters. Oh, you didn't get the laser-guided one? No, no laser-guided, no nothing. It's unfortunate. Uh, so, yeah, that was paper. Uh, had a good team. We were able to effectively put the paper onto players' turn, uh, tables. Um, the only other thing we handled was just making sure the feature match got their slips as well. But pretty pretty basic stuff. Uh, day two, I feel like on day two, so they don't try to try as much of the fancy teams and things, but it's also not necessary because you're running a 200-some person event generally uh, on day two. Maybe you're, you're running at a minimum of a 128-person event. Um, so you don't really need to try these fancy Facebook chats or anything like that. Um, when we started day two, I believe we had a 10-to-1 player-to-judge ratio. Yes. So yeah, you don't really need too much fanciness for that. Really? No. For the main event? Yep. Wow. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
They're like, well, it's run and professional. They really want it to seem professional. Right. And it was. I think I think overall I, I like to think everyone on K2 had a had a good time. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um so the one ruling I want to discuss, because I've kind of already discussed everything else, is uh it involves haunt. <laughs> so this yeah. one's a difficult one to ask in the car, but haunt. Um but a creature with haunt died. And then the opponent scavenging goes and exiled it. Don't cheat, David. Stop looking at it. I'm looking at a card oh, with oh. haunt. Uh, Someone give me a card with haunt. Cheating. Don't look up a card with haunt. Something that, that's haunted. Where's haunted? Haunted. 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 haunted? That's the one. That's I, I, I. Anyway. All right. So the creature <laughs> died, and then in response to the haunt trigger, he, uh, the opponent exiled it with scavenging goose. And the question was, does it still haunt something? I can tell you the answer to that. I was on on the staff that discussed this, so I'm not gonna answer it. Okay. Uh, David, do you want to answer this, or...? I'm gonna... I, I see you reading the card. Because that's what every good judge should do, is read the card well, before I, they answer it. Okay. So I'm gonna give this a second. Go for it. Breathe <laughs> deep. I am. I have faith in you. Just read, read the reminder text for Haunt okay. for us. The, the Haunt reminder text in the Oracle text says, uh, when this creature dies, exile it, haunting target creature. Okay. Okay, from what I'm looking here, what I'm seeing here, I believe it will be haunting that uh, target creature. Even though it was exiled before the, the ability breeze. Oh, jeez. <laughs> alright, alright. That noise was Star patting poor woman on the shoulder. I love me some Homan. Oh, I thought it was Homan slapping himself in the head. <laughs> so get for driving and not looking at what's going on. So yeah, I'm just gonna jump in here. Get there. Um, Go for it. Yeah, and in the end, the consensus was it does not haunt the creature because I feel like the thing that exile it exiles it has to be the haunt trigger in order for it to be exiled haunting something. So if you actually read the oh, sub rule for that, haunt, that's it actually yeah, finds why that's the case. CR for it actually. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm. It's got to be exiled due to the haunt ability, not just be exiled. Right, for uh, getting confused with replacement effects and triggers. Right, and, yeah. I know. I had this question quite recently, which is the only reason I know it immediately off the top of my head. Nice. Um, yeah, that was about it for me on day two. You know, it's a six round. Um, as, as Nick mentioned, it's, it's a little... It's comfortably staffed. So you tend to take fewer rulings. Also, as a team lead, you tend to take fewer rulings. You tend to uh, be focusing on your team a little more. Well, I, I would hope you would, but I guess I can't guarantee it. So, uh, does anyone have any other day two stories they want to talk about? Just anything at all, or any GP stories at all? Um, we ate some food that was bad for us. Yeah, that's typical GP. Stood in lines far too long at the. Center. Yeah, that pizza wasn't worth a 40-minute wait. No, it was not. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I notice a unfortunateness. I don't know if someone can get back to me on on why it was, but I mean, over in these sides, uh, when I was there, I believe the side event crew was fairly understaffed for what they were uh, receiving in terms of number of players. Uh, on the, what day? Uh, day one. Okay, yeah. Okay, right. I thought you were about to say today. No, 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 no. no. Today was we, great. We were fact, actually understaffed today. It felt like day one exploded because they started needing space that the GP was taking up, but I, which is the, which I don't know if that was ever planned on happening. Yeah. 
in that there were several instances I could I, I personally witnessed where a player calls judge and I look around, do a full 360 with my body and everything, and I don't see a person in black carving the floors, which probably means they were trying to fire another event. And uh, being that uh, that is part of their job, sure, get there. So I would, you know, yell it louder so to amplify someone's attention to it. But it, it, some of the calls players had just took, to me, an unreasonable time to get answered. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, so that's a side effect of poor staffing and just, I guess, poor planning in that it wasn't concepted that maybe the side events would get to this size. Uh, I think there was like a huge two-headed giant event that that fired off as well the first day. That might have taken up a lot of resources. There was that that event was actually capped at two hundred teams. So wow, oh my God! Now, now that's a lot. Um, the so they, all you're doing is the thing two headed giant doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, uh, a lot of players playing so, two headed giant. Right, right before registration ended, they had about 150 teams signed up, and, and all of a sudden uh, there was a huge <laughs> influx, and about 80 more teams signed up. Wow. So it hit 230, I believe, is the number, and oh, then man. all of a sudden somebody found uh, a pre-sign up form. That had another 170 teams listed on it that weren't already accounted for. Wow. So the two-headed giants uh, had 300-something, almost 400 teams. Wow. And that so, was definitely not expected. Just to be clear, that's close to 800 players. So that's a two-headed giant GP within GP Shark. Yes. Right. And, and, and those uh, numbers may be a little off, but that's, that's how I remember it being told. So for anyone listening... Uh, I believe a similar incident happened at GT Vegas. Yeah, we don't need them. But, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> that, that's Vegas. Last right. episode was Vegas. It's what happens in Vegas, you don't talk about No, I understand that. I mean, it's, just, it, it's, it's a common occurrence at least uh, twice in a row that I've heard. So, I mean, maybe something should be looked into there. Sediments are huge now. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're now. Well, I mean, last time I was in Charlotte, uh, two years ago, it had 2,400 players. People lost their minds, and judges walked away with I Survived Grand Prix Charlotte t-shirts. Right. <laughs> now, I'm on staff two years later for a 2,800-player event, and everyone's like, yeah, this is pretty cool. It's yeah, all right size. Honestly, it did not feel like it was no. that big. No, not I mean, at all. Th- this, this is where we've scaled to in two years' time. Yeah. Uh, th- 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 I mean, that was, that was just a really big eye-opener for me personally. Yeah. Uh, to, to walk in and out of that entire situation. Uh, so, for me, uh, I got to meet... Jason Chewy Slate of MTG Caspain. That was fun. I also met him for the first time. He gave me tokens. I did not meet this star. Get with it. Come on. He asked me three questions. I don't know if he'll actually use them, but he did ask them. Give him a couple years. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, so that was cool. Uh, beyond that, yeah, ate poorly. Paying for it today. Slept very little. Slept very little. Yeah. Of course. Despite trying. I mean, but, you know, when you're on late shift Saturday, early shift Sunday, well, what are you going to do? There, there's no sleep in between that. I mean, I yeah. Not if you want to have any social time. No, no. Which I don't, but I well, feel obligated to do so anyway. Well, well you do, because we were there. I didn't hang out with you, did I? No, he did not. He abandoned us. <laughs> Actually, that's, that's a good point. Yeah. Hang out with our did. regional coordinator instead. Yeah, I did. 
Good old Turner. It was the cool people party at the club. All right, guys. Well, I feel like we're ready to move into some road emails. What do you guys think? And speaking of two-headed giant, this first one's about exalted and two-headed giant. So this is gonna be a little unfair for you guys, because like usually with Brian and Jess, they actually get to read them ahead of time, <laughs> and I'm just kind of springing them on you. Um, so this this email is from Neil, and he says, at GP Vegas, my friend and I were playing two-headed giant on Thursday afternoon. In round two, Aaron and Amy attacked. Aaron attacked uh, with an Aethercast Knight, which is a 1-3 with exalted, and Amy attacked a Dragon Soul Knight and Blood Ogre. Does exalted successfully trigger for Aaron? Uh, and he also helpfully included the warning group of Exalted, which says, Whenever a creature you control attacks alone, that creature gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. So, uh, I think David should answer this one since he was probably there for it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, since I'm looking at the card, um, since it's a creature you control uh, attacks alone, uh -oh. Okay, uh, so, no, 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 I, I, calm down. You have me nervous that you're going down the wrong path. Yeah, calm down. Um, so, since it's attacking, but there are other creatures attacking as well, it yes. is not attacking alone. Even though the only creature, or the, it's the only creature you control that is attacking. Yes. Yeah, it's not like that. Uh, so it won't get exalted. Uh, <laughs> Brian's response says something like, See, in this world of social media where we constantly where we are constantly connected to others, and it led to a weird sense where we can feel alone, yet still be in a crowd. <laughs> <laughs> Which is all the way just to say yes. Oh, man. Yeah. Yes, it doesn't? Uh, yes, it does not trigger. Okay. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Yes, it does. All right, how about a nice deep layers question for you guys? All right. In the car. In the car. All right, this one's from Sean. Uh, he asks... Enjoying the show. We'll see. Uh, he says, my question is about the interaction between Bow of Nylia and Turn to Frog. So let me read those real quick. Please. Let me read the relevant portion. Thank you. The relevant portion of Bow of Nylia is attacking creatures you control have death touch. The relevant portion of Turn to Frog is the entire text of it, which is until in a turn, target creature loses all abilities and becomes a blue frog with base power and toughness 1-1. So basically, he's asking if I have a bear cub out and I have a bow out, a bow of Nylia, and I turn to frog the creature and then attack with it, do I have what he calls a frog of death or not? <laughs> frog of death. Alright, I got the last one. Star, you want to take it? Alright, so. So, this again is on timestamps, specifically in the layer of abilities. And we have two different timestamps. We have a timestamp set by Bold Nalia and a timestamp set by Turn to Frog. When does the bow's ability start? The bow's ability. Those are actually those are actually two different things. The bow's ability starts working when the creature becomes an attacking creature. Uh, no. No. That that's the trick. The bow of Nalia's ability is always applied. The, the well, that, that's, what, that's what I'm getting to then. It's timestamp of Bow of Nylia. The timestamp of Bow of Nylia is when Bow of Nylia comes into play. Yes. And That's now it. we're applying a later timestamp with Turn to Frog. Yes. Which is removing the ability. Yes. Well, then why'd you say the timestamp applied when they attack? Yeah, this is recorded, you realize. Sorry, I didn't. Yeah. 
My apologies. I didn't mean to say the timestamp. I meant to say the ability becomes active. Okay. It starts doing something That's fine. when they but attack. But the actual timestamp yeah, is still... Yeah, I, I yes. wasn't watching my words. My yeah. apologies. Yes. So what ends up happening here is, uh, <laughs> is if, if for some reason, let's say you're doing this all to your own creature so I don't have to do any A player in player stuff. Yes. Um, uh, speaking of that, I just, because I stole A player in player from David Holman. That's what he does because he's lazy. Yes. Um, a player. For part of my team lead, one of the things I did to keep people uh, involved is is Judge Bingo. And the reason I'm bringing that up is I've stolen that idea from Michael Starr. And since he's actually on the episode, I can give him credit for it. <laughs> he's excitedly pumping his hands, uh, not really the, realizing this is a podcast. And it's in the dark. <laughs> and it's in the dark. I can only barely see it. And half of the people in the car are not looking at him. <laughs> in the light of the red roof in, I pump my fist in jubilation. <laughs> So, people have uh, really enjoyed that. So what does the A player and player have to do with Judge Bingo? Because it, it's something I've stolen. Oh. Oh, I see. Like a thief yeah, in so the night. I thought you were going to say a bingo square was if you actually have a match where there's A player and N player. No. <laughs> oh man, that'd be pretty good. Where like one player says a name that starts with an A yes. and another player has a player. That's a good bingo square. Actually, that's really good. I like that. And uh, checkmate. Anyway, so the uh, uh, active player is doing weird stuff to his own creatures. Yes, yes. So he has a bear cub out. Uh, one thing you could do is turn to frog it, then play bow of Nylia. Yes. Yeah. That would give bow of Nylia a later timestamp than turn to frog, and then you can attack with your bear cub and have this hypothetical frog of death. Yes. Hypnoto. Toto. Hypnoto. Nobody knows Hypnoto. Sorry, I thought you were starting to say Toto. Are we supposed to respond in some fashion to that? No, you just. You have to cut in the episode right now. Yeah. Good luck. Definitely gotta do that. Yes. <laughs> hey, could you stop hitting bumps? It's really messing up my quality. I really can. I'd love to. <laughs> Are we in Georgia yet? Is that we've where the roads are? Oh, we've been in Georgia for a while. while. Yeah, I think I, I, I can tell when the roads got worse. <laughs> like, the sound got louder. Um, yeah, let's do a couple more. Okay. Oh, man, this one has a sweet... Oh, boy. Sweet name. It's Rad Talion. This, this one's about Aiden Mind Sensor, uh, which reads... If an opponent would search a library, that player searches the top four cards of that library instead. Oh, man. He says, I had a rules question for you that came up during EDH. Uh, this is where we all turn away. And here you go, Nick. This one's for you. A player has... Give me the EDH question while I drive. Let's do that. Yeah. <laughs> a player has an Aven Mind Sensor out, and an opponent Mind Slavers them. If that opponent cracked a fetch during the original player's Mind Slaver turn, so let me let me add in some names here. Uh, we have a Johnny with an Aven Mind Sensor out, uh, and a Johnny has been Mind Slavered. Okay. So a Johnny and then a Johnny also has a fetch lane. All right. So Nissa is controlling a Johnny during a Johnny's turn, and Nissa cracks that fetch. Do does Nissa get to search the entire library for additional information, or are the is this a limited to only looking at the top four cards? What is the wording on even mind sensor? Uh, right Since here. I can't look at anything up, I'm not looking at that one. Come on, man. All right. <laughs> uh, it says, if an opponent would search a library, that player searches the top four cards of that library instead. Ah, uh, so the question really is whether you are your own opponent if you're mind slavering someone. Is that really where we're going with this? Uh, maybe. Is that how that works? Yes. Okay. That's, the, that, that's, the yeah, that's pretty much it. So I don't think you are your own opponent. Um, so that the rules of opponent and player don't change. Uh, and so I would assume you, she would only, Nissa would only be able to search that top four, based on that wording. Why not? So, 
Only only opponents. The Johnny has the Evan Mind sensor. Oh. So only opponents can search only search the top floor. Right. And if there's any Oh their libraries, right? Yeah. Oh well then it doesn't matter at all. I think she can look through the whole library. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that that's exactly it. Um and that's exactly the question, because even though it's Nissa looking through the library, in reality she is controlling a Johnny as a Johnny does it. So everything is from a Johnny's point of view. Um, so yes, she does get to look through the entire library. Excellent. The mines mind slaver, David Mind Sensor, EDH question while driving. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. And you nailed it. Yeah, you got it, man. Alright, one last question. Uh, this involves a card called Abduction. When you want to look it up. Yeah, I got you. Thank you. Right, Wait, who said that? I did. Because I'm listening through headphones, I actually can't see who's talking. They're actually I, one person. I hear it all through the microphone. Uh, you want me to read it out loud? Yeah, just read it out loud. Abduction uh, is an enchantment aura with a enchant creature. When abduction enters the battlefield, untap enchanted creature. You control enchanted creature. And when enchanted creature dies, return that card to the battlefield under its owner's control. Okay. So that is that. So it, uh, Weatherlight. Oh yeah, I've never heard of that card. Yeah, I, I used to play it all the time. It's a mind control, and if it dies, they get it back. Yeah, so it's worse. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it untaps the creature, I guess that's something. Yeah, you, you get untapped. The sure. fun is that's when they were abducting Captain Sisse. Oh. So, yeah. Alright, so, the question is, he says, say I abduction my opponent's bear cub. I have a Marchesa the Black Rose in play, and I'll read that in a second. Uh, I attack with the Bear Cub, getting the plus one plus one counter, Bear Cub dies in combat. Am I correct in saying, since it is my turn, Marchesa's dies trigger goes on the stack first, followed by Abduction's dies trigger, meaning my opponent gets his Bear Cub back, allowing Marchesa's ability to not resolve, as Bear Cub is back on my opponent's field. So Marchesa reads, uh, whenever a creature you control with a plus one plus one counter on it dies, return that card. You see what I'm doing with Star? I, I see it's going Return back Return that forth. card to the beginning under... To the beginning? Hold on. Whenever a creature you control with the plus one plus one counter on it dies, return that card to the battlefield under your control at the beginning of the next instant. Ah. Uh, David, you got this one? What is the question? <laughs> Alright, so I... You and I are playing against each other. I abduction your guy. Induction? Abduction. Abduction. With an A. Yes. Okay. Alright, so I abduction your guy. Good job. I also control Marchesa. What a jerk. The creature I took from you dies in combat? She yeah. dies. Yeah, you attack and it has a plus one plus one counter on it. So yeah, then it dies. Sure. In combat. Alright, so it's got the plus one plus one counter. Okay. So it... So then Marchesa triggers. So my creature that you control, and you control both Abduction and Marchesa? Yes. Okay, so you have two triggers. This... Because I'm not looking at the oracle text. Let me look at that real quick just to make sure. When enchanted creature dies, return him to the battlefield under its owner's control. Okay, sure. And the question is Will it come on whose control will it come under? Yes. Oh. And it's and it's well it's in this hypothetical, it's Star's turn because he attacked with the Mirko. Yes. And he controls both abduction and Marchesa. Okay, so you have Marchesa's uh or you have her trigger. That will bring a creature under the uh, under. Will bring a creature back, and you have abductions trigger that will bring a creature back. You control both of those, and they are both going onto the stack at the same time. Yes, everything I have said is accurate so far. So, 
<clears throat> regardless whose turn it is, since you control both triggers, you will choose in which order to stack them, which goes on first. The logical one, usually, would be to put the abduction trigger on first, then the Marchesa's trigger on top of it, so that that trigger will resolve first, the Black Rose's trigger. That way, it brings it back under your control, and then you can resolve the other Sure, abductions trigger. So you get different effects. You get different results if you order it different ways. Correct. Uh, because when the abduction trigger goes to resolve, it will resolve, but it will do nothing because you can't return that card to the battlefield under its owner's control. What about the fact that Mark Chase's trigger says that you return it at the beginning of? The next ding ding. Oh, oh okay, yeah, okay. There was the a trick with There was a lot more. All right. And, and the author didn't notice that either. The author of this email. Turns under the beginning. So actually, this isn't a real question at all, because Marchesa <laughs> okay. uh, will always return it at the end of turn. Yeah. So, so it's not a concern. However, for what you just said, Owen, everything you said is correct. If we just have both players have an abduction on the creature. Sweet. Then, in that case, it matters whose turn it is, because we use Abnab. The active player, not active the player, or the triggers matter. Yeah. Right. Yep, yep. Yeah. So that's exactly it. The whole question is misleading, but it is. And I also didn't read, like a yes. good judge. Damn it. You had you had Yes. Yes. That was a good question. I like that question. It's fine. Okay, well. That's it for emails for car emails, I think. Uh, <laughs> car emails. Especially, especially since my battery's at ten percent right now. <laughs> yes. What's all this three G you're giving us? Uh, oh, it's ridiculously slow. But if you ever want to contact us, you can by emailing us at judgecast at gmail.com. You can also call Nick's car phone, or you could call us <laughs> on Twitter at twitter.com slash judgecast, like us on Facebook, Facebook.com slash judgecast, etc, etc. All right, guys. Uh, a, who's, who's going to do the ending with me? Oh, dibs. All right. On the second part. On the second part. Well, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm Michael Starr, and I like to have I wasn't ready to end it. I was going to thank you all for being on with me. <laughs> well, thank you, CK, but, for having car ride. Yeah, yeah car thanks for setting up this crazy setup that you have. Yes, and I took a picture of it. With so a giant I'll, microphone. I'll make sure that's in the show notes. Thanks for answering a question while driving, Nick. You're yes, a yes. No problem. Thank you for sharing your abilities with us. Uh, I hope the audio on this episode is, is usable. Um, I've already recorded it, and I'm going to edit it, so it's being posted either way. But I hope it sounds okay. I apologize. It's probably bad. It's... Yeah, why isn't your car more... More soundproof. Yeah, more soundproof. Because it's a Civic. That's why. Uh, built-in soundproof? Come on. Alright, well, thanks again, guys, and thanks again to the listeners. My name's Just Raider. I keep it fair. My name's Michael Starr, and I screw up endings. <laughs> My name is David Holman, and I just keep losing matches. I'm still driving. <laughs> <laughs>